number Father, in the wonderful theme of this song, love, we come this morning to thank you. Thank you for your love towards us, and thank you for the love that we share together as Christian brothers and sisters in the family of faith. We thank you this morning that we have been able to study your word, a word that came to us in love, a word that was shared and in which we were led this morning in love. And Lord, it is the love of that word that brings us here now to proclaim our faith and our love to you. Now bless this hour, we pray, especially in Jesus' name. Amen. We are happy to welcome those who visit with us this morning, and we'd like to share some of that love. You know, we don't do much handshaking on Sunday morning, but I'm, I'm going to ask you to do this. All of our visitors, would you just raise your hands wherever you are? Now you members look around you and see whether and reach over and shake your hand right quick, would you? And visitors, if you'll keep the other hand up in the air, our men will see it, and as they come by, they'll hand you one of our visitors' cards. If you'll take it and fill it out and drop it in the offering plate just a little later in the service, we'll appreciate it. This way we can uh, have a, a record of your visit, but more important, we can remember you in prayer and share with you a word of how much we do appreciate your being with us. We do thank the Lord that you are here this morning, and we trust it's going to be a wonderful blessing to you as you share and the worship experience in our services this morning. Now, Brother Mac McCarley comes with our Sunday school report. I almost said church training. Hadn't been long enough yet. Glad you're still doing it, too. <laughs> Special word of welcome this morning to one new member in our Sunday school hour, 28 fine visitors, and we hope you'll come back and share with us again on other Lord's Days as we study His Word. Total attendance of 936. 
If you visited in this service this morning and did not visit us during the Sunday school hour, I hope you'll pause for just a few moments after the service, give some of our Sunday school faculty an opportunity to give you a personal word of welcome and invite you to come and share with us next Sunday morning at 9.30 as we study God's Word together. Thank you. Two very brief announcements. First of all, our royal ambassadors are conducting their uh, paper drive this week, and if you have paper, I know you've seen the, the huge uh, uh, receptacle across the street in the parking lot. I almost was able to drive into it yesterday, but I noticed it's filling up rapidly. So if you have paper, why, well, I know they will greatly appreciate it because this particular one is such of a size that unless the RAs are able to fill it, they lose money uh, on it uh, in the, uh, uh, the money that they get for the mission uh, work. So if you have paper that hasn't been uh, brought over and you need transportation, uh, do let us know and we will try to arrange to have it picked up, uh, if nothing else. But do try to bring it. Then one other important announcement. Tonight at 6 o'clock, we're having the first session of our leadership training department under the leadership of Brother Buddy Green. Now, some of you have already been contacted to be a part of it, and we trust that you know about it, and we'll be present at 6 o'clock in room 201. However, tonight is uh, part of it will be an overview of the entire course, and if you think you might be interested in such a leadership training course, this is training in how to be a church leader. Uh, then we invite you to come tonight at 6 o'clock uh, for this first initial session, and you will get an overview of it and see whether or not uh, the Lord can use you in this class. We hope that the department will, in the days to come, develop many of our church leaders for positions of teaching, administration, and our committee servants uh, throughout our church needs. So you'll be praying for the committee, Brother Green, as we begin this particular important program. May we stand together as we begin our morning worship. Father, because you indeed are worthy of all the worship and the praise of our lives, we come together in this hour to band ourselves, Father, as a people who belong to you and want to give honor and glory to your name. Our Father, we gather in this place and we carry into this room each of us so many different things. We carry, Father, some attitudes or sins that make it difficult for us sometimes to, to catch a vision of you in your word. We bring to this place guilt and sins that we have not confessed that keep us, Father, from the full joy of worship. And so we pray this hour that, that you would be real to us and help us to put aside 
those sins, those weights that tie us down and cripple us in our Christian lives and in the joy of living, and to draw, Father, new strength today and to drink afresh from the wellspring of, of your word. We pray in this hour that some word that we sing in the hymn, that some word from your blessed Bible will open the door for us to the fuller life that you want us to live. We rejoice in your blessings upon us as a people. We thank you that you have blessed us individually in each one of our personal lives. And oh, how we thank you that, that you have blessed us as a people together in this church. And now we pray that all that we say and do would bring honor to your name. For we seek, Father, even through the difficulties of making it so, we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness that you might be honored. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Hymn number six, praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Hymn number six. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. Heard a pastor express one time, he just wished most people used the one they do have. So as we sing this morning, join in as we sing praise to the Lord. 129, oh, for a thousand tongues.
this morning is hymn number 268. All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? And as we stand to sing, our brethren will prepare to receive our morning tithes and offerings. 268.
darkness in the shadow with the Savior I have drawn. Sweet indeed have been the lessons since I've walked alone with God. I have seen him, I have known him, for he deigns to walk with me, and the glory of his presence will be mine eternally. Oh, the glory of his presence, oh, the beauty of his face, I am his and his forever. He has Little words are so very important in our lives. Little words can make such a tremendous difference in the way that we face life and what we receive from life. There is that passage of Scripture, probably the most translated single line in in all the world, where Jesus declared, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That little word, so, for God so loved the world. What an important word. Love is one of the greatest things in all the world. The Apostle Paul said that that love is the greatest emotion that can be felt, the greatest virtue that can be exercised. And even in the midst of that knowledge, Jesus said, for God so loved the world, all that he went through, all that he planned, all that he did, all that he suffered is bound up in that little word, so. For God so loved the world that he was willing to inspire men to know the truth. For God so loved the world that he was willing to send his own son to face the humiliation and the anguish that would be his from other men. For God so loved the world that he himself was willing to pay the sin debt in order that the sinful creature man might know cleansing and might be included in God's family. So do not overlook for a moment the power and the importance 
and the strength of that little tiny word. So. That little tiny word, no. How important is that word? I heard a man say one time that in some ways to be able to have the courage to say no when that should be said takes more courage than nearly anything else. The most difficult word to pronounce is not that old tongue twister anti-disestablishmentarianism or that long jawbreaker that I like, terminological inexecuted denarian, which is just a long involved way of saying a person's a liar. No. It takes courage to say no when we ought to say no. Adam and Eve did not have the courage to say no to Satan. And sin entered into their lives and threw them into the world. No. How different would your life or my life be if in a number of instances in our past, if we had said no to some temptation that seemed so very attractive and so very bright and so very alluring, if we had had the courage to say no, that little tiny two-letter word, our lives might have been different in many areas. We take that word, that little word, yes, Y-E-S. That's a noble word, a little word. But oh my stars, how much of the world's history has turned on the saying of a yes. It would have been a different kind of world all over this world, literally. If a shoe cobbler in England hearing the call of God to go forth and open up a brand new age of mission emphasis and mission concern, if that shoe cobbler had not said yes to the call of God. In saying yes to God's call, he opened up a door not only of personal service on the part of his own life, not only in being in the will of God personally and individually, but he opened up a whole new generation. He opened up a whole new epoch, a whole new age. And the modern missionary movement takes its start in William Carey, a cobbler, was willing to say yes. There have been many yeses in your life and mine, and these have always 
been the like a hinge that's opened the door. When we have said yes to temptations into which we have walked, delighting for a moment in the season of sin and its pleasures, only to find that the yes opened the door to the corridors of real disappointment and real hurt. There have been the times that we have been faced with an opportunity and we have been concerned about it and however any of us has arrived at our decisions, we have arrived at the decision to say yes about something. In saying yes, we've opened the door to great opportunities to live for the Lord and to serve him, and to plant seed that would grow to his honor and glory. It's a difficult thing in life to know what to say yes to and what to say no to. We need to be close to the Lord and stay close to the Lord and be led of the Lord. Another significant little tiny word is that word if. 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 I've heard people in the depths of their sorrow when some inexcusable action on their part has brought deep sorrow and grief and tragedy to the life of someone else, I have heard people say, oh, what if I had not done that? Oh, what if I had not said that? If. And the if has been spoken in sorrow. I've heard that little word if spoken in bitterness. I've heard it spoken in great disappointment. If, if, if. The eighth chapter of John's Gospel contains that little word if a rather significant number of times, if, spoken by Jesus. Jesus presenting the truth and the glory of what it is to be a worker with him. Jesus wanting his disciples to know something of the, the greatness and the vastness the thrilling opportunities that could be theirs if they'll make the right decisions, if they'll put the right hinges on the right doors, if their turn of mind is correct, if they'll make their plans according to his plans. Lives get all messed up and all confused when we insist absolutely to be the architect of our own lives, when we insist absolutely to be the builder of our own lives, when we will not listen to guidance or receive counsel from the Holy Spirit of God, 
as to our plans for life, our programs, our ambitions, our aims, our dreams, our priorities. When we become the sole architect of life, when we become the sole builder of our lives, we always let ourselves in to build huts where God would let us build mansions. Jesus, expressing the desire of his own soul to his disciples, spells out in a number of significant passages in this eighth chapter of John's Gospel. And we want to take a look at them in a minute. Some of the great ifs of life, of the, of the spiritual life, of the godly life. I had occasion just this morning to hear excerpts of a letter. And there was one line in that letter, not addressed to me, but addressed to someone else. The one significant line in that letter that somehow stuck with my heart all the morning since I heard it was this, quote, Religion that ought to be such a help in people's lives, and I don't remember the exact words, but anyway, has not been a great help for me or has brought tragedy to me. And as I've thought of it, and I've thought of it, and I've thought of it, and I've thought of it again, what that individual had to say was that that, you see, they were missing the point entirely. Religion itself never brings anything to anybody. The world's religions has brought misery and sorrow and heartache and grief and tragedy into people's lives. It is not religion that solves our problems or brings honor to God. It is Christ Jesus. Christianity has more often than not been a curse Christianity as religion is not able to wipe away tears as we stand by the side of a grave or to give guidance and direction to a young man's life or to give purpose. Religion, Christianity itself is not able to do that, but Christ Jesus is able to do that. I rather suspect that one of the reasons most of you are afraid to share your faith with others is that somehow or other you, like so many others, have gotten confused about what it is to share. A doctrine, a creed, statements of faith, and you say, I don't know how to how to debate with somebody else. I don't know how to argue with somebody else. I don't know how to present it. And rather than to be embarrassed about something that you believe in deeply yourself, you just don't do much telling other people. But you see, it isn't that we want to witness Christianity to a world or to our neighbors or to our friends. It is simply to introduce others to Jesus Christ. Now that's what Jesus is talking about in great measure. How do we get ourselves mentally and spiritually aligned so that Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus, 
can become the very thrust, the very center of our being. And Jesus spoke to his disciples. Let's take a look at it. All these verses in the eighth chapter of John's gospel. Take a look first at the 31st verse. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. Now, you see, get the context of it. Here were Jews who believed on him. They accepted him as the Messiah. They accepted him, believing him to be the Son of God who had been promised and prophesied and that he was there in their midst. They believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That little word, if. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples. Then can you learn from me. It is not possible for an individual to have access to the Word of God but keep it a closed book and grow in Christ-likeness. It is not possible for you to own the Scriptures and to have access to what God has to say but you keep the book a closed book mentally and spiritually that your eyes literally are blind as far as the truths of God are concerned simply because you don't read the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing. It's the Word of God. Always and in every way, the reading, the distribution, the study, the preaching, the understanding of the Word of God is absolutely essential to the growth and to the development of the Christian life. If you want to grow as a Christian, you must know more of the Bible, but not as a burden or as a chore, but rather in the joy and the delight of letting the Holy Spirit of God, who is in you because you are a Christian, that same Holy Spirit of God, who inspired Moses to write what he wrote of the Old Testament, will interpret for you that which he wants you to know. And then the study of the Bible becomes a joy and a thrill and a delight. Not ten verses to be read as soon as you get up or five verses to be read before you go to bed. Not as a ball and chain, as some kind of exercise that we endure, but rather the thrill and the joy of the knowledge of the Word of God. If you continue in my Word... Continuing, we get weak as Christians when we do not eat of the Word of God. We become susceptible to all kinds of spiritual diseases when we do not stay strong with a constant intake of the Word of God. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Look at the 36th verse. 
If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. This is the if of freedom. At first was the if of discipleship. Now the if of freedom. What is it the world says it's fighting for? What is every war fought for, at least publicly? Freedom. Civil wars are fought so that some segment of a body politic can have more freedom than it says it now enjoys. Freedom, the battles that exist between husbands and wives and families oftentimes. What is it? It's a battle to gain freedom, so-called, though so often misinterpreted and misjudged. The if of freedom. If we would bring freedom to a world, then we must bring Jesus to a world. The if of freedom. And what Jesus is declaring in this magnificent passage is this, that if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed, accepted as an act of faith in God, that he is able to do what he says he'll do. Far too much of my life and I rather suspect far too much of your life is taken up arguing with God to try to determine if he really means what he says or not. Instead of just taking him at his word. Instead of just believing that when he says it, that's it. Freedom, the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ, and if he gives that freedom, it is a freedom. Freedom from the curse of the law. We studied about it in the Sunday school hour this morning in the one aspect, in the matter of the Sabbath. Freedom from the guilt of sin. Freedom from the power of sin that cripples us and limits us. Freedom from the fear of death. Freedom from fear of others. Freedom of sons who have access to God. I don't know how it strikes you. I, I enjoy reading biography. I read a good bit of biography. I've always, as I have read the biographical stories of the lives of some of the nobility, of the past and the present, I've often wondered just how it would feel to be uh, a prince growing up in England, the Prince of Wales, and having immediate access to all of the inner halls and the courtrooms and uh, the throne room and to go immediately into the presence of the king and the queen uh, to, to be able to have access to all of these places and uh, you know it, it must be sort of a uh, an unusual kind of a feeling that when a youngster gets to that point and he realizes who he is and the authority that he has simply because of who he is and that he's able to to go past the guards and the soldiers and uh, to be able to get it right into the very presence of the sovereign of the land why it must have been unusual kind of a sensation. We bring it right into our own political situation. There are those who have 
over the years put a tight circle of guardianship about the very physical presence of the president. But you see, a, a, a daughter or a son, even at times when the president uh, might be in the midst of a, in a very important conference in the Oval Room. Well, we've seen the pictures where sometimes the, the little ones just make their way past the Secret Service and the secretaries and just get right in there where, where things are going on. Right, an interesting thing. They have access. And the freedom that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ is a freedom as a child of God to go past whatever barriers that men have put up between us and God, whatever barriers we build for ourselves. And to open these doors, these barriers, tear down these walls, and to say, now wait a minute, don't stop me, for God, my Father, has invited me to come boldly into his presence. You see, that's the kind of freedom that we have. So don't live like a slave. Don't live like an outcast if you're a child of God. Claim the privilege and the truth that's been given, that if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And live within that joy of life in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ that comes in walking in a freedom. There's great victory in all of this. Well, look at the 39th verse. Here we have another if. And this is the if of service. They answered and said unto him, Now Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, Well, if you really were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Abraham looked back, or every Jew looks back to Abraham as the founding father, God called him from the Ur of the Chaldees to come and to follow him. That was his simple call, follow me. And that one magnificent little word, yes, I'll follow you. Faith. The history of the world hinged on what Abram would do. In saying yes to him, he not only started a, a family and started a race, but that became the chosen instrument whereby God would come through the oracles of all and reveal himself and ultimately through the seed of Abraham would come the Messiah, the only begotten Son of God. And so Abraham was first and foremost what? A man of faith. See? And so when these Jewish friends said to Jesus, well now you're talking about all these things but, but our father our father, we're, we're not quite sure, Jesus, what you're talking about, you talk about your father, but our father is Abraham, see? And Jesus said to them, if that's really true, if that's really true, then you would do the works of Abraham. And what were the works of Abraham? Faith in God, see? The if of service. Galatians 3, 7 gives us the truth. They that are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Faith, 
They that are of faith, that exhibit faith, that believe in Jesus, that by faith accept Jesus and let Jesus do for them what none else can do. The spiritual children of Abraham, we are the spiritual children of Abraham, according to that truest definition of the New Testament, we exhibit our works by the faith that we have, and our faith is made true by that which we are willing to do for God. Look at the 42nd verse. Jesus said unto them, If, there's our word, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. The if of sonship. The only door that is open and available into the sovereign presence of the majestic, omnipotent God of the universe is Jesus Christ, his Son. Jesus left all the glories of heaven and came to this earth in order to provide a way for us to be able to enter boldly into the presence of the Heavenly Father. This is God's way. This is God's door into the glories of eternity. Jesus declared that truth as recorded in the 14th chapter of John's Gospel when he said, I am the door, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, which was Jesus' way of declaring that by me, any man, anywhere, any boy, any girl can have access to the Heavenly Father. Christians have often been accused of being so bigoted and narrow-minded because we believe that Jesus is the only way that one can be saved. Oh, rather than being bigoted and narrow-minded about it, the simple truth and the simple fact is this, that without Jesus, no boy, no girl, no man, no woman would have entrance into the kingdom. But because of him and through him, Everyone who believeth may come. For God so loved the entire world that he opened a door into his very presence. 1 John 5.1 says, Everyone that loveth him that begat, speaking of God, loveth him also, that is, begotten of him. Look at the 46th verse. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? Here, Jesus was giving to those we're in his immediate presence and through the centuries to us, through the preservation and the power of the Holy Spirit of God, the great if of our own personal responsibility in this matter. He spoke the truth. He lived the truth. He was and is the truth about God, about himself, about the needs of the world. He spoke the truth 
about heaven and about hell. He spoke the truth about how to get the most out of life. He spoke the truth. He is the truth. This is the glory of it. And so the if of the responsibility then comes to us. Are we going to believe him? Are we going to accept him? Are we going to walk in the way that he gives us and to believe and let the truth that he declares out of his own experience be our light in the dark paths of life? Or are we going to enter into a debate with him every time he speaks our way? The if of our personal responsibility. Look very quickly at the 51st verse. Verily, verily I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Now the whole burden and the whole emphasis upon this passage is not if a man hold on and continue to verbalize or to mouth my sayings or my teachings, if somehow he continues with strength of his own to continue to hold on, that's not what he says at all. What Jesus is saying here, if a man keep my saying, what has he been saying? That he was the truth, that he gives freedom, that faith is the gift that God gives, even as Abraham had faith. If a man will keep my sayings, that is, will possess it to his own soul, if a man will make that which I have been declaring unto him as his own personal possession by faith, if a man will then in that manner and in that way keep what I have been saying, he shall never see death. And he was there, of course, speaking of that second death, which is separation from God forever. For he has already been speaking of the joy and the wonder and the thrill of the freedom of the Christian enjoys in being able to come boldly into the presence of the Father. Oh, it's a wonderful thing to be a Christian. And that if, right there, if a man will keep my saying, if a man will believe my saying, if a man will make that the very ground and the substance of his faith, faith in me, and faith in my Father, he'll never see death. Oh, there may come the time when the physical body will stop functioning. That thing that we call the physical death, but Jesus is speaking of spiritual things, and the child of God does not see death when the body stops to function. It's a great and a glorious and a victorious thing when we celebrate, and it is celebration from time to time, the heaven home going of our blessed Christian dead. They have not seen death. We have seen death. We see the death of the body. We say goodbye for a while to those with whom we have lived and those we have loved. But that individual who is in Christ Jesus and alive and eternal forevermore did not see death in that moment that the body stopped to function, but rather in all the brightness and the beauty of his presence, Jesus himself met that blessed Christian loved one at the edge of the valley of the shadow of death. And when the brightness of his face walked with them to the glories of the other side, yea, though I walked, through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Isn't that a blessed thing? 
but a glorious truth. You see? If a man keep my saying, makes them his own, he shall never see death. But the hinge of it now, we turn back to the 24th verse. This is the last one we want to look at. But oh, this is so important. For this is the if of our personal decision. I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. I don't know anything that could be any clearer than that or any more definite than that. Christ is the Savior of all who will believe and all who will accept. And the reason he came is not to exclude anybody, but to include all the world, all who will believe. But if you want to plow your own furrow, if you want to try to earn your way to heaven, if you want to try to have enough good merits in the observances of the Old Testament laws, if you want to take your chances, that's your privilege. But if you choose to try it your own way and do not believe in Jesus, then you'll not live with him in time or in eternity. I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. The positive is to believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus, and your sins will be washed away. Believe on the Lord Jesus, and whether heaven or hell is the destiny of your eternal soul, It hinges on if. You see? Do you believe? Is Christ yours? Publicly declare your faith in him. Follow him in the joy and the privilege of believer's baptism. Study his word. Grow to be like him. Experience the thrill of new power. 
as you let more and more of yourself be controlled by him. What will you do with Jesus? If you believe, you'll be redeemed. But if you say no, you shall die in your sins. Our Father, we've made so many decisions that have been wrong in life. Oh, Lord God, with faith that is a gift from you, let us have the courage to say yes to Jesus. To those, Father, who are in this room and still covered in the filth of their sins, unconfessed and therefore unforgiven, today let them, O oh, Father, know the joy and the thrill of the new birth by saying yes to the Lord Jesus, inviting him to come and to save. Our Father, earnestly I pray in this hour for young people and for adults who may be struggling with the call of God to serve them and to serve you and to live for you. Oh, Father, may they have the courage to say yes, to make the decision for Jesus. This is our prayer in his name. Amen.